Wonderful. It's good to see you. I, uh, I'm thoroughly convinced that today is going to be a great day because something happened to me this morning that has never happened to me in my whole life. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited. I was up early this morning as I typically am on a Sunday morning and I went downstairs and I was uh, doing some reading this morning. Uh, and then I heard a sound that I had never heard at that time of day. Uh, I heard the, the chirp of a fire alarm. And it was like 7 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but whenever a battery goes bad in a fire alarm, it's typically sometime between 1 and 3 a.m. And I was like, this is going to be a good day because it didn't start chirping until 7. So I was like, oh, it's going to be a win. Uh, Welcome to Christ Point. My name is James. I'm the pastor here. Uh, It's so good to see you this morning. A couple of quick announcements for you before we jump in. I want to let our students and our kids know uh, that a week from yesterday, a week from uh, Saturday, this coming up Saturday, our, our students and our kids are going to go to Defy Gravity on Saturday. I believe our time is from 9 until 10.30. Uh, you want to register. Is it, is it 9 or 8? Where's Phil? 9 o'clock. So you want to get there, register for the 8.50. Get there about 8.50. Uh, we'll hang out, go to Chick-fil-A after. For the kids, you need the parents there. Uh, for our students, parents can drop them off, and we will raise them for the next two hours. So uh, register online. If you get the weekly email from Christ Point, uh, we would love to know that you're coming. You'll be able to find out about cost, uh, all of those details uh, online. Also want to remind our church family that uh, next Sunday is going to be our last official Sunday meeting here at the Y on March 31st, which is a Sunday that's going to be moving day for us. Uh, We need roughly about 25 people who are willing to come on Sunday, March the 31st to help uh, pack everything here at the Y. We'll have a couple teams here. We'll have a team or two over at Cox Mill as well. Uh, There is a registration in the back at the Point Central table Uh, Before you leave this morning, if you're able uh, to help move our place of worship from here uh, to Cox Mill High School, uh, we want to encourage you, if you could, to sign up, uh, find a spot. Uh, We would uh, love to partner with you as we, again, move locations from here at the West Cabarrus Y and move to Cox Mill uh, High School. So again, registration is on uh, the back table. Uh, One of the things, uh, really the thing that we are most passionate about here at Christ Point is pointing people to Jesus. Uh, And one of the most practical ways that we do that is by engaging all people. We want to engage people both here in our uh, church community, but also in our near community uh, and really around the world as well. And so uh, from time to time, we love to hear from people in our church body who uh, we believe are modeling this for for us, doing this well. And so this morning, uh, I have asked Hayden uh, to come forward and uh, share a little bit about his uh, ministry with, uh, with Young Life. Hayden, it's good to see you uh, this morning. Hayden uh, loves flannel shirts like me. I was kind of bummed that you didn't wear a flannel this morning. I actually wore this for you. And so, yeah, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Uh, Hayden, why don't you tell uh, your church family a little bit about uh, ways that you engage uh, students through Young Life at your school. Hey, how are we doing today? Good. Yeah, um, Young Life is an organization where we, um, our goal is to reach the unchurched high schoolers in our area. Um, And so, um, as an organization, we have both staff and volunteer leaders who get assigned to high schools. Um, And what we do is we go to sporting events, we go to um, 
theater productions. We go to um, band symphonies. We try to get integrated into the school system just for the hope that we can meet um, some kid along the way who's just waiting for somebody to walk into their life. Um, and our model is to meet kids on their turf. And so um, we do that just by going out and meeting them, befriending them. Um, and then when they're comfortable with us, that's when we start sharing the gospel with them. Um, we have programs like Club where we um, start at the beginning of the year, speak on the person of Christ, and then talk about the cross and resurrection and what all that means. And then we also have campaigners um, where kids who are wanting to grow deeper and wanting to read the Bible and wanting to learn what it, like, what it looks like to run after their friends, um, we meet every Wednesday night and we open a Bible together and we just talk about what that looks like. Um, so in a nutshell, that's what Young Life is. Cool. Tell us a little bit about maybe a story from a student who has been impacted through uh, the ministry and then share with our folks, lastly, about how it's impacted your own heart and your own life. Yeah. Um, so I lead Young Life at Mount Pleasant High School all the way out there close to the Stanley County line. Um, and we're, we're kind of a newish ministry. It's only been around for two years. But one of the first guys that I met, his name was Caleb Cook. Um, I met him at a JV football game, and if anybody's been to a JV football game, you know there's about 10 people there. Um, so when I go up and I knew one of his friends, I come and sit beside him, and he's like, who is this guy? Why is he here? And he um, resisted getting to know me for like two or three months. He just thought I was this weird old guy that would come to JV football <laughs> games and try to talk to them. Um, but he started coming around, his friends started bringing him, and um, Caleb has a pretty rough life. Um, there's a lot of money issues, a lot of um, alcoholism and, and other things in his family, and he never really grew up in the church, and his family's kind of bitter towards um, anything in that regards. But every time he would come, um, you just see the look in his eyes, like he would just sit down and he would flip through the Bible and just look at it, and then... He would never speak up, but he would always listen, like, really closely to everything. Um, and one of the great things about being his Young Life leader is that I get to be with him, like, three or four times a week where we just hang out, get coffee, um, go watch Avengers movies or, or anything along that sort. Um, and then he just starts opening up about everything in his life and what his thoughts are. And uh, we take him to camp this summer, and he gives his life to Christ, and this year he is um, really running after it. He just signed a NCAA scholarship to go to Belmont Abbey, um, and he wants to be a Young Life leader as well cool. once he gets there. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah, let's talk about the impact that it's had, uh, that Young Life has had on your, on your life. Yeah, um, so I really, um, I grew up going to church my whole life. It was more of just a social obligation at the time. It wasn't until I got to college and I started making friends with others who were Young Life leaders at UNC Charlotte that I really start considering what it looked like to follow Jesus and to live in the kingdom. Um, and that looked just like I do now with kids. At, um, Brentley Whitaker, who used to be the area director for Cabarrus County Young Life, used to um, call me up and ask me over for lunch and dinner or to work out with them or whatever it was. And just being really intentional and really getting to know who I was and at the same time, um, lovingly pointing out the sins in my own life and um, pointing me towards Jesus. And he just kept pushing me and pushing me to become a part of this. Um, and it's one of those things where it's not until I look back to see how much growth and how much Jesus has come and impacted me through this ministry. It's impacted my family. My brother is a Young Life leader in Raleigh. 
and then my mom and my dad both are in charge of Rutherford County and uh, uh, Young Life in Rutherford County, and it's really grown us as a family. Um, we're really intentional about everything. We pray for each other. We know um, each other's journeys and what our um, fights and battles are. Um, and I just I couldn't imagine what my life would be like without it. So that's how cool. it's impacted me. That's awesome. Hayden, let me pray for, uh, for you and just ask God to continue to bless you, the ministry at Young Life. Would you guys pray with me? Uh, Father God, thanks so much for, uh, for Hayden, for the good work that you've done in his heart. Thank you for uh, the way that you are using him to engage uh, the community where, uh, where he lives, the place that you have uh, placed him. Lord, I pray that your hand would continue to be upon him. I pray that you would use him in a significant way uh, in the days ahead. Lord, I believe that you have a good work in store for him, and so I pray that uh, you would continue to be gracious and kind toward him. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, the people that he meets would, uh, would see Christ in him. Lord, I pray that you would give him uh, wisdom and strength and courage uh, as he continues to walk with you. God, thanks so much for giving us the joy and the privilege of engaging the people around us and helping point them uh, to your son, Jesus. Lord, what a joy it is. God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. When I was a little kid, my parents and adults would, uh, would ask me uh, this question. They would say, James, uh, when you get older, uh, what do you want to do? Did anyone ever ask you that question before? What do you want to do? Maybe, maybe you are older and people are still asking you that question. But I remember as a kid being asked that question and I, I remember there was a time when I wanted to be a professional baseball player or a professional tennis player. Uh, and then I found out that you had to be athletic to do those things. And so I decided that maybe that wasn't a great fit for me. And there was a, a brief amount of time where I thought to myself, I think I would I like to be a lawyer. Actually, my mom told me, James, you argue a lot. And so uh, you should be a lawyer. And then I realized the kind of arguing that I was doing really wasn't a fit for law. And it was probably just a bad habit that I needed some help with. And so I decided, well, I'm not going to do that. And then as I got older and grew up a little bit, I continued to wrestle with that question. What what do you want to do when uh, you get older? Has anyone ever asked you that question before? Like, what do you, what do you want to do? Uh, more and more as I think about that question, I can't help but wonder if that question is actually not the right question to ask. I wonder if there's a better question that we could ask of our children or ask of ourselves, uh, a question that would uh, influence and impact the decisions that we make, but it's, but it's different. And the question is not, what do you want to do when you grow up? The question is, who do you want to be? Like, who do you want to be? What do you want to seep out of your core? What do you want your life to be marked by? Not just what do you want to accomplish or where do you want to work or what would you like your profession to be, but, but who do you want to become? See, I think what we do in life ultimately flows out of who we are or who we desire or want to become. And so this morning, I want us as a church uh, to think together about that question. Um, who do you want to become? I want to ask that question and I want to answer it. Because I think one of the beautiful things about God's Word is, is it explains and answers these questions that oftentimes we wrestle with. In fact, just up front, I'm going to kind of show you all of my cards and I am going to, to tell you and then hopefully uh, show you uh, who God wants you to be and then what he wants you to do. All right, so who does God want you 
uh, to be. God wants you uh, to be a follower of Jesus. And what does God want you to do? He wants you to make other followers of Jesus. The Bible calls this discipleship. And this is the great um, joy that God has called us to as his people. He does it in Matthew chapter 28. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me there to Matthew uh, chapter 28. This morning we want to look at what is uh, described or what is called uh, the Great Commission. Uh, The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus has uh, raised from uh, the grave. He is alive and he is commissioning his uh, disciples uh, and sending them out. And he says to them uh, and to us in Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 these words. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Uh, to the end of the age. One of the first things that we notice is that Jesus uh, claims to have uh, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. That means uh, that Jesus uh, calls the shots for your life uh, and for mine. Uh, He is in control. Uh, We are not. We are not independent, autonomous people who simply go through life doing as we please. We are not captains of our own ships or masters of our own fate. Right? God is in control of our lives. We, we don't give him permission to rule in terrain. Uh, God rules and reigns on high. Right? And so Jesus says to his disciples, and he speaks to us, that he has all authority. We've seen how this plays out in Scripture. We see that uh, Jesus had authority over nature and over uh, the nations. We see how Jesus had authority over sin and over sickness. We saw how Jesus had authority uh, over disease and death itself. Right? Jesus uh, was the authority figure uh, for the disciples, and he is our authority figure as well. Well, typically when you think of authority figure, uh, sometimes that has a negative connotation, right? Sometimes when you think of authority figure, you think of a parent uh, who shows up unexpectedly uh, to the party of teenagers and, and finds teenagers doing things that teenagers should not do and comes into the house and says, okay, like break up the party, right? You, you, and you, you need to go home. Stop doing that. Put that down. Get out of here, right? Sometimes teenagers have a picture of an authority figure as being a a negative influence or a negative voice in their lives. Maybe you think of a boss who comes to you and says, I need the project on Friday. It's due on Friday. It needs to be done on Friday. There are no exceptions. I need it. They tell you that on Monday, and then Monday afternoon they say, I need it on Friday. Don't forget, I need it on Friday. 
Right? They're an authority figure in your life. Maybe it's a, a mom or a dad who says, I need your phone. Hand it over. No more screens. Right? You're grounded, and that's an authority figure that you have in your life. And when you think about them, you might think of an authority figure as a negative voice in your life. An authority figure maybe is someone who is trying to keep you from something. And that, that's not the... The kind of authority figure that Jesus is when he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's not trying to keep his disciples from something. He's, he's actually using them for something. And the thing that he's using them for or inviting them to participate in uh, is literally the best gig in the world. Right? It is life-giving. It's life-giving. Nothing beats it. Right? No, no profession, no vacation, no experience in life surpasses uh, what Jesus is going to ask his disciples to do. Right? And he's telling them, listen, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Right? I, I, I call the shots. Right? I'm in control. I'm in charge. And this is what I am telling you to do. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus tells his disciples, he tells us, I want you to go. I want you uh, to go. I want you to move. Um, the Christian life is a life marked by movement, right? We, we are a people who are called to go, move. This isn't a call to busyness. It's, it's not a call to, to live a busy, hurried, frazzled life, right? Jesus isn't telling his disciples, listen, I, I want you to, to work to exhaustion in Jesus' name and then die and go be with me. He, he's not calling them to that way of life. Uh, but, but he is calling them to movement. Uh, he is telling his disciples, I want you to go. If you study the Greek word go, it means go. Right? He wants them to move. I want you to move, he says to them. This is a good reminder for us. It's a, it's a good reminder for me. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you before, but I uh, have suffered for a number of years from PBA. Uh, PBA is uh, paralysis by analysis. Um, I've never officially been diagnosed before, uh, but, but there are times when I see this seep into uh, my life. Right? I, I love to uh, consider uh, what I am doing or consider a decision or an action that uh, needs to be made, and I like to look at it from multiple different angles. Uh, and after I look at it from multiple different angles, I look at it some more. Right? And then I like to talk to other people about all of the options. And then I think about the options that they have said to me. I consider the options. I think about the options. And that's it. <laughs> I, I just think. I just think it's like standing in front of an all-you-can-eat buffet and going home hungry. 
Right? I, I overthink. I think there's, there's too much to do here, or I can't figure out how to do it all. And so I just sit there, and instead of moving and, and pressing in, I, I, I just think. Jesus is calling the disciples to go. A week and a half ago, I told you I had an opportunity uh, to travel to Honduras and spend some time with 13 local pastors and ministry leaders. This is a picture of the folks that I had an opportunity to spend time with them. We had a, a goal when we went. We simply wanted to understand uh, the challenges that they were facing in ministry and in life and in their communities. And so I went and we listened. We just listened. We wanted to hear their stories and understand the things that they struggled with. And so we asked them, what, what are your struggles? What are the things that you are wrestling with? And they said, well, uh, like, there's extreme poverty in our communities. Like we, just, we lack basic resources. There, there are many people who are hungry. Like we, we need food. We have poor education. Uh, many of the pastors and many people in the community go to school 7th to 8th grade and then they drop out because mom or dad doesn't have the resources to send them. And so they do what they can, but then they, they pull out 7th or 8th grade and you can imagine the impact that that has on their community. They said in many communities there is growing violence. At one time it was just kind of reserved for the major cities in Honduras, but they say more and more we're starting to see it spread uh, into our communities. People uh, are desperate. And so I heard their stories, and as I listened, I, I began to feel PBA set in, paralysis by analysis. It just seemed so overwhelming. I'm like, what can we actually do? What difference uh, can we make? And then God graciously uh, changed my mindset uh, through a coffee meeting uh, with a man by the name of Melvin. Uh, some of you have met Melvin before. Some of you know Melvin, but Melvin is a rock star in Honduras. If anyone ever gives you the opportunity to meet with a famous musician or a famous athlete or a famous political leader or Melvin, choose Melvin. Choose Melvin. He's a godly man. He's an entrepreneur. He just he starts these ministries and he builds into people and he multiplies and then he hands it off and watches as they, they flourish and grow. And we were sitting having coffee with Melvin and Melvin, as we're talking about all of the opportunities in his country, he stops us and he says, listen, he says, listen, guys, he goes, we are never uh, going to be able to fix everything. Never going to be able to fix everything but we keep moving. We keep moving. And I thought, that is brilliant. Right? We're, we're never going to be able to fix everything, but we keep uh, moving. That has some legs. Jesus tells his disciples, he tells you and me, keep moving. You're never going to be able to fix everything, but keep moving. But we don't move aimlessly. We move with purpose. Right? We move with purpose. What does Jesus tell his disciples? I want you to go make disciples. This is the kind of movement that he calls us to. Make disciples. A disciple is a learner. It's someone who, who learns, but it's more than that. It's more than just an A student. A disciple is more than just a smart person who knows a lot about God's word. 
A disciple was expected to be an imitator, a follower, someone who who stood close to uh, the rabbi, who watched the rabbi, who learned from the rabbi, who copied the rabbi's way of life. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to do. He wants his disciples to imitate his way of life. John chapter 13, Jesus is serving his disciples. He's washing their feet. And it says in John 13, verse 12, when he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garment, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to imitate my way of life. Like, I want you to watch me. I want you to see how I operate. I want you to notice the things that I'm passionate about and the things that I care about and, and how I spend my time and how I live my life. And then I want you to do it. I want you to imitate me. Uh, author Bill Hull, who's probably written more on discipleship in the past uh, 25 years than maybe any other author, um, talks about five biblical marks of discipleship. These are things that we see uh, from the disciples that follow Jesus. It was an expectation for a disciple in the times of Christ. But he talks about these five marks. The first one is that a disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her to follow Jesus. And so they, they submit They come under the teaching of a teacher, of a rabbi. Uh, Secondly, a a disciple learns Jesus' words. And a disciple learns the words of Jesus. What did he say? What did he teach? What did he mean? Thirdly, a disciple learns Jesus' way of ministry. How did did Jesus operate when he he ministered in in towns, uh, when he came alongside people, like, what did, what did he do? A disciple learns Jesus' way of ministry. Fourth, a disciple imitates Jesus' life and character. They saw the example that Jesus set, and they imitated it. And fifth, a disciple finds and teaches other disciples who also follow Jesus. Bill Hall suggests that the church us, we as a whole, this isn't true of everyone, it's a generalization, I know those are dangerous, but he says as a church, we, we usually do two, three, and four, like okay. Like we're okay, like we, we, we some of us, we love the word, we study the word, we kind of turn the word upside down, and we, we look at the, the grammar and the history, and, and we try to understand what it meant three or 2,000 years ago, and, and we, we try to understand the, the teachings of Jesus. We do an okay job uh, of, of that with that. A disciple learns Jesus' way of ministry. We do an okay job studying the way that Jesus ministered and, and, and trying to, to duplicate it. We fourthly imitate Jesus' life and character with, with various degrees of success, right? Sometimes uh, we see people move and act in such a way and we go, that is, that is Christ-like. 
It's like, I feel like Jesus would have done that. Like you, the way that you love that person, the way that you listened to that person, the way that you came alongside that person and encouraged that person. But, but Bill Hall suggests that numbers one and number five, um, we, we don't really do a great job of. Number one is a disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her to follow Jesus. I don't know if you think that's true or not, but I think there's some truth to that. I think we wrestle with that. Maybe it's a, a Western mindset, or maybe it's just that we're independent by nature, but uh, we have a tendency, again, a generalization, to be suspicious of authority. Like, like maybe we've been burned by authority before, maybe we've known someone who has abused authority before, and we have an example or two or three or 50 and we go, that's how that person operated when they were calling the shots. And so I'm not going to fall victim to that again. Like, I'm not going to put myself under the authority of another who is going to press into my life. No one's going to tell me what to do, right? I call the shots. Bill Hall suggests that, that we do not do that well, and yet part of biblical discipleship uh, was, was looking to a teacher and, and going, I'm going to do what, what he does. Right? In, in my life, admittedly, this is not always easy uh, for me to do, but I think to myself, I want to do that. I've, I've made a commitment in my life to find people who are further along than me, who are more mature than me, who, who, who there, there's just something about their life that I look to and I go, he's a good dad. When I, I've, I've talked to his wife before, and she, she loves her husband. She loves her man. I can tell just the way that she speaks of him. And I think to myself, like, I want to know what he's doing. And I want to copy it. And I want to, co- I want to come alongside people who are, who are seemingly further along than me and go, I want to do what they ask me to do. You know, some people look at that and they go, man, I, I don't want to be a copycat. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I don't want to do it that way. I, I get that. And we can be a cynic about it. But I'm telling you, I just like more and more, I want to look to people who are further along. I want to talk to guys who are 50, who have been in ministry for 30 years, or 60, who have been in ministry for 40 years. I want to talk to guys who have loved their wives for 20, 30, 40 years, who, who have raised children um, well and parented well, and I want to go, like, tell me, like, what did you do? <laughs> I'll write it down. And this was expected from a disciple who was following a teacher, right? So a, a disciple was one who, who put themselves under the authority of a teacher, and then that fifth one that Hall suggests that we struggle with is a disciple finds and teaches other disciples who also follow Jesus. Right? Did you notice that? So it's not just about the teacher and the, and the pupil or the disciple. It's about that person taking what the teacher has invested into them and then going, finding someone else and doing the same. If you are a Christian, uh, you are a disciple. Right? You're a disciple. There's not a, there's not a special class of Christian who disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, uh, you are a disciple of Jesus, right? There's no special forces, right? You are God's plan A and B for the spread of the gospel to the nations. 
right? You're, you're it. We are called uh, to make disciples, right? Students, students, you are called to make disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus, right, you are called to come alongside other students, other people, and, and invest into them on some level, right? Moms, dads, husbands, wives, singles, human beings who know and love and follow Jesus. Uh, you are called uh, to make disciples, to take what you have and to give it away. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's good enough to use it again. Okay, so when I think about discipleship, I think of uh, the game of hot potato. Have you ever played hot potato before? Yes. We are going to play hot potato this morning, okay? Cademan, you're going to start us off. This is hot sweet potato, okay? These are sweet potatoes, and they're wrapped in plastic because my family's probably going to eat these, and I don't want your paws all over them, all right? So, Cademan, you're going to start this. Okay, you're, you're, you got this group. Connor, life is good. You're going to start this group. Jorge, I don't trust you. Ben? Okay, listen, we are, we, are, we are going to, listen, this is how this is going to go, okay? We're going to play the music, we're going to play the music, and uh, we're, going to pass, we're going to pass the potato. Nobody, nobody is throwing the potato. Where's John Coran? Is he here? He's teaching. Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, well, I know some of you play baseball, Hayden, some of you have baseball background. I don't care if you can throw it 90 miles an hour. We're passing the potato. No one's getting hurt. This isn't covered by insurance, okay? So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play the music, and then when the music stops, we're going to see who is holding the potato, okay? So you know the object? Pass the potato. You don't want to be holding the potato, so go. Hit the music. Okay, let me see. Like, like, stand up if you're holding the, the sweet potato. Okay, sorry, Hayden. All right, my friends. Listen, if you are standing up, if you are holding the potato, I have some bad news for you. You lose. You lose. If you're holding the potato, you lose. Listen, God still loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. You can sit down. But listen, you, you lose. You lose the game. Listen to me. If God has given something to you, if he has opened your eyes to the truthfulness and goodness of the gospel, if he has imparted to you like wisdom of his character and his goodness and his grace, if he has shown you who he is, if you have that and you do not give it away, guess what? You lose. Man, you lose. Right? God has called us to take what he has given to us and give it away. Right? Give it away. Bill Hull tells his students in the beginning of the semester, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to meet with you for 12 weeks. And we have three hours together each time we meet. We're going to meet for 12 weeks. 
Um, when, when, I, when I give you a lecture, when I, when I teach you, you have one week um, to teach someone else what I have taught you. I want you to give away what I've given to you. And we're going to do that for 12 weeks, 12 times. And then he says, and then at the end of the semester, the person that you gave it away to is going to take the test. All you overachievers are getting nervous. I see it in your eyes. All you A students. I mean, think about that for a second. What if we, what if we live the, the Christian faith and life like someone else was taking our test? I, I mean, like, what if there was a sense where God's like, listen, you have a, you have a week to give it away. You have, a, you have a year to give it all away. Like, just give it away. Like, if I live with that type of mentality, I would think to myself, I want to I take what has been given to me and I want to give it away. I want to I tell someone going to a hospital room, listen, this is what I've learned. Don't bring your phone. Don't look at your watch. Like, like don't go to teach theology. You go to listen and you, and you pray and you impart truth and you beg God to move and act. Right? If, you, if you're getting married, man, like cherish and nourish your bride. Man, you, you pray to God that she flourishes as a woman of God. You lay down your life for her, man. You, you do it. You don't waste it. And parents, be intentional with your kids. Be intent, impart biblical wisdom to every chance you get. Like, just, just give it away. Be, be patient with them. Breathe life into them. Go, this is what I see in you. God's going to use you. Speak truth into their hearts. Like, take what you have been given and give it away. If you uh, do not give it away when the music stops and you're still holding on to it, you lose. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, go and make disciples. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, what, what does that look like? Like, tell me more. I think, I think it, at the very least, there's these two uh, ideas that Jesus gives to his disciples. I think he encourages them, on one hand, to share his story, to evangelize, uh, and secondly, uh, to call others to grow in Christ-like maturity. Right? I say evangelism because he tells his disciples, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. When he's talking about baptism, he's talking about uh, identity into Christ. Right? So you've heard and believed the gospel, and in response to the truthfulness of the gospel, uh, you are, are baptized. It's a way that we as followers of Christ announce to the watching world or our community or our church family, I'm a follower of Christ. If you've never been baptized before, um, you, you should be. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, this is what God calls his disciples to. He didn't call them just to have a, a baptism ministry, the the, the passage implies that people are coming to faith in Christ. Right, so go evangelize. And then secondly, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Bring others to maturity in Christ. Call them uh, to obedience. Now, on, on some level, uh, maturity, Christ-likeness, is obedience to his command. I think sometimes obedience gets a bad rap because we don't want to become legalistic in what we're calling people to. 
But it's possible to obey, to do things that we should do or not do things that we shouldn't do and still have our hearts far from God, right? And so sometimes we look at obedience and we're going, we don't want just people just to do it for the sake of doing it. That's not what Jesus is saying, I don't think. But I think what he is saying is I want people who follow me um, to follow my commands, like to, to do what I have called them and what I have asked them uh, to do. This is what he tells his disciples and what he tells us. So we should have the kinds of relationships with people that we know and love where we come alongside of them and we're like, how, like, how are you doing? Or I, I read this in God's word and, and I, I think I'm falling short here. And he, I mean, you talk about evangelism and you're going, I, I don't evangelize. Like, I don't, I don't sh- share my faith with people. As, as believers, we should, like, come alongside people and go, like, why, why not? We're called to tell the story. You go, well, I'm not, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Okay, evangelize. It's like going, well, I don't give because I don't have the, the gift of generosity. Or I don't show mercy because I don't have the gift of showing mercy. No, evangelize, give, show mercy. Be, be obedient to what God uh, has called us to do. Now, maybe you hear that and you think to yourself, James, that absolutely scares me to death. Right? <laughs> I, <laughs> scares me to death. I'm a little frightened by that. I don't know exactly what it looks like. I've tried it before. It doesn't work. I don't know the first step to take. I don't know what I should do. I'm frightened. I'm frightened. I, I don't know how to move. This is why I love God's Word. Is it, there's a word of encouragement to you and to me in all of our fear. Look at verse 20. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is with you. He is not like a parent who sends his kids off to college to figure things out for themselves. But he doesn't reach a point in our hearts and our lives where he's like, listen, I poured into you for the last 18. Like, you're on your own. Good luck. My job here is done. Scripture says like he is with us the other year i taught amelia how to ride a bike she is seven years old she was six at the time we went up to her little elementary school and uh, she had a little, little bike we pulled it out of the van and it was on a saturday so there's no cars in the parking lot and she puts on uh, her little helmet and her little elbow pads and her knee pads and i wrapped her in, in bubble wrap and uh <laughs> just so she would be safe, and she got on her little bike, and I, I held on to the back seat in the front handlebar, and, and I just walked with her, and I'm like, you, you pedal, you pedal, you pedal, I got you, I got you, and then eventually, as she started to pick it up a little bit, I, um, I, let, go of, I let go of her handlebars, and I just held on to her back seat, and I would kind of steady her as she would pedal, and she said, Dad, you're not going to let me go, are you? And I said, no. I'm not going to let you go. And then once she had her balance, I let her go. All right, and she went down, and she kept on pedaling. And you know what? She did pretty well. It's funny because for the next few weeks, every time we drove by her school, she would, she would say, hey, Dad, that's where you let me go. That's where you let me go. Do you know that we never, never, never say that to our Father? He never lets us go. Jesus says to his disciples who are afraid, listen, I will be with you forever. 
Right? The God that knows you and loves you and made you and has called you to this good work uh, will be with you as uh, you move toward it. And so this morning, I want uh, you to make a pact. I want you to make a pact. This is what a pact uh, is, what it stands for. I want you as a people to pray uh, to God. Like pray to God that, that God would help you uh, become a disciple maker. Pray to God that, that God would send someone into your life that you have a relationship with, that you can come alongside of and pour into. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, man, I'm, I'm, I'm new to the faith or I'm young in the faith. I long for that. I desire that. Pray to God that he would send godly voices into uh, your life to build into you. And then after uh, you pray, act. Like move. Move. Act. Ask. Come alongside someone who you are in relationship uh, with and have a conversation uh, with them. Melissa and I had an opportunity to have a meal with new friends last night, and we were talking about discipleship. And I, and I love this quote that was shared. It, it's really good, which means it wasn't from me. Uh, it is uh, these words, truth travels the road of relationship. Truth travels the road of relationship. If you're writing notes, write it down. Truth travels the road of relationship. Oftentimes, the people that we will come alongside of in a disciple-making type relationship, friendships, are people that we have a relationship with. We don't randomly come up to people that we, we don't know and go, I've seen how you parent your kids. You clearly need help. Let me help you. We don't do that. Like we have relationships with people and we go, hey, can we grab like a sandwich together? Can we go out for coffee? Can we, can we talk? So pray, act, commit, right? Commit to sticking to it. Like this is huge because as a people, right, we start stuff all the time that we don't finish. And we're like, I, I mean, I tried that once. I had one coffee. It wasn't great. I'm done. No, like, com like commit to it. Be, be faithful. And lastly, trust. Like trust that God is going to move. Right? He's called us to this. He said he's going to be with us as we pursue it. So why, 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 why would the God of the universe not be trustworthy as we pursue it as a people? Right? So pray, act, commit, and trust. God has created you um, to be a follower of Christ, to imitate, to learn from, to follow uh, Jesus. And he has called you to go and to make disciples, though there is uh, no plan B. So listen, Christ's point, go, go, and know as you go uh, that he is with you. He is with you. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for uh, the great joy and privilege that we have uh, as your people uh, to make disciples. Lord, thank you that you have opened our eyes to uh, the beauty and the goodness of the gospel and called us sons and daughters. 
God, I do pray for, for folks who are here this morning who are wrestling with uh, the faith or have questions about the faith. Would you be kind to them uh, in this moment, Lord? I pray you'd open their eyes, help them uh, to see the, the beauty and the joy that is found in a relationship uh, with Christ. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for uh, your good work that you have done and that you are doing in our hearts and our lives. Uh, Lord, we love you back, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.